0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude, it's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit canduwealth.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal, and I'm joined today by Katie Balls, the political editor of The Spectator, and Paul Goodman, editor of Conservative Home. Now, Katie, I think the big political story today is the Standard Committee recommendation against uh, Scott Benton, uh, which exceeds the 10-day minimum needed to trigger the recall process after a petition. There could more likely be a by-election there in that Blackpool South seat. Tell us what's likely to happen.
2: So as you say, it goes over 10 days. Um, Scott Benton faces being suspended from Parliament for 35 days over what the Standards Committee has called a very serious breach of standards rules. And this uh, relates to a story from a while ago where newspaper reporters posed as gambling industry investors and he was caught offering to lobby ministers table parliamentary questions. And this has sparked from that. Now, you would expect this to go through... And then you have a situation whereby he is vulnerable to a recall petition and a potential by-election. So we're not at the by-election point yet, but if we, if past experiences of MPs <laughs> behaving badly, or at least being accused of behaving badly, and being found to have done by this committee, is anything to go by, we are heading to a by-election, mm. and that. The the petition will close on the 19th of December. So if that does happen, it's a by-election time sometime in the new year. And his seat is not particularly safe. It's a majority of 3,690. So if we're going but based on any previous things, that that seat in a by-election will go and it will go to Labour. Um, Is it really damaging for Rishi Sunak? I don't want to sound like I have drank some Kool-Aid today because this isn't what I'm trying to say with it. But in a way, the majority is so small that I think that it is just going to be presumed by everyone. The Tories don't really have a fighting chance in this seat. Now, clearly, it's just going to add to that sense of almost rot in a way that there's another by-election which you see that it has to face, another loss. But what's been very damaging, if you think, for example, mid-beds, is mm. you had these by-elections where it looks as though, you know, a once again, another historic defeat for the Tory Party. This one, I think, a governing party would struggle with, even you know, mid government in that time, just because the majority is that small, and it was going to be tough at the next election. So it's clearly bad for Rishi Sunak in the sense it's uh, you know another dent to his authority. It changes the narrative and so forth, and you have a situation. Andrew have a situation whereby, you know, his majority would be reduced further. But I don't think it's going to be quite, um, you know, this high stakes blockbuster moment of someone who's tripled by elections previously.
1: Yeah, I mean, Paul, Katie raised an interesting point, which is that I don't think the question is so much about the Tory vote in this, but perhaps the reform vote, because the reform under the Brexit party did pretty well here in, in 2019. And coming off the back of a, a run of pretty good polling for reform with some suggestions they could be, uh, you know, 10, 11 percent, surely that's a, a key Test here is actually how much is reform going to poll uh, rather than just the theory, uh, but in an actual contest, particularly now that Nigel Farage is out of the jungle.
0: Well, presumably, there will be a by election, but mm. can I just raise a small question mark, no larger than a, um, a man's hand, which is that, of course, the recall petition has got to be signed by the requisite proportion of constituents which is 10%. I think we'll soon find out in Wellingborough where the same process is underway for Peter Bone whether or not 10% of constituents in Wellingborough have signed it. That closes on the 19th. It's possible to imagine that constituents uh, don't particularly care for their Member of Parliament but that they also hate the idea of a by-election. So I'm just raising that as a possibility. But assuming it does happen, this is very much what I call a vote-leave-take-back-control seat. They're both very poor, the Blackpool seats, north and south, and it is true that it would be a sort of possible platform here for reform who do very well in polls, but in actual real life elections really don't seem to have stirred very much.
1: I think the big story of the week has still been that vote that happened on the Rwanda bill. And now there's some suggestions that now it's moved past second reading, the One Nation group are going to be laying down amendments on it. What do you make of all that and the likelihood of legislation being amended?
2: So I think it was always the case which is uh, that when it comes to the various stages of this bill and it will come back to a point when the right had more power or potentially more power that the second reading was in a way the place where the right of the party could come together and just vote it down. The five families could have that reunion and go for it. Um, But they didn't have the numbers. They weren't able to. And through a combination of factors, they pulled their punches. There's a question of whether they could have punched if they had wanted to. But in the committee stage, it was more in the power of those on the left of the Tory party, because who is going to team up with Marc Francois from the opposition parties to harden this bill? Mm. Now, I don't know where exactly the DEP are in this, but at most, in terms of players on that side, it would potentially be the DEP Think about working with the ERG on the Windsor framework. It's not going to be the Lib Dems or Labour saying, yeah, you know what, let's make this, you know looser when it comes to the ECHR and therefore that the amendment stage unless of course you have something which is trying to torpedo it completely in terms of moving in direction it's those one nation MPs are more likely to find useful friends Mm -hmm. with the opposition parties there is a question as to whether Labour of course will go along with that given Labour say they oppose the scheme would they be able to pitch themselves as saying while we oppose it and don't think it should happen, we think for the good of the country we're going to soften it because we care about the UK's place on the world stage. You could see something like that. But now we're at the point where you have uh, you know, figures in the One Nation group such as Robert Buckland talking about doing some things to have more careful positioning or more limits in terms of what the government could do uh, to try and stop the government from being in place to breach international law. There's a few other amendment plots going on on the One Nation group. How serious are they? I think this is part um positioning by both sides. The One Nation group generally feels as though they swallowed a lot when it came to backing mm. this bill at second reading. Yeah, if you listen to the ERG and the other four families, they're acting like this is a cuddly conservative piece of legislation that delights the One Nation group. And I think there is a feeling amongst some of those MPs, which is hang on a minute. We think this gives more to the right than it does to the left. We've gone all that way. And yet you're talking as though, you know, (laughs) this is the, the skimmed version that we longed for, which is nowhere near it. And obviously we have to see how things look in the new year. But I think some of this is just a warning shot to say, hey, to those colleagues on the other side of the party, if you want to try and move this in a certain direction, we can also do things here. And therefore it's almost, again, not to keep using the game of chicken analogy, but if one side won't behave, the other side doesn't want to behave when it comes to the government's line. So I think some of this is, uh, you know, positioning as a warning, which is, you know, we can all do things here and we have more power in this round, as opposed to necessarily what they will definitely
1: do in the new year. Paul, what's your
0: take on it? So I think it's true that it's very unlikely that Labour would make common cause with the dissidents from the right of the Tory party Though you never know. know they found a means of doing this during the Maastricht debate in the 1990s but it's much more likely that they would be able to make common cause with the Tory left. The position of the Tory left is interesting because uh, they've had a, a reputation I think not entirely undeserved for kind of rolling over when important votes come and it's generally true that a lot of these figures on the Tory left, like Robert Buckland himself, are ex-ministers, and they've got rather a sort of settled establishment way of looking at things. And when the um, the whips come to them and say, look, for the sake of the government, old boy, won't you drop this? <laughs> they're more inclined to say yes than say uh, Sir Bill Cash, to take a name off the off the top of my head. And they are undoubtedly, the Tory left, in response to the behaviour of the Tory right over a long period of time, are getting more aggressive. I mean, you will have noticed... Emails and us popping up in our boxes from the One Nation group, signed by Damien Green and Matt Warman and Stephen Hammond, who are the sort of big beasts in this particular jungle. I got a question about these amendments, would be whether they will operate as a group. So, for example, Buckland's not one of the signatures on these. Press releases. He's a, a former senior lawyer in government. His seat is not terribly safe. He may be thinking of life after the election when other people in the legal profession will be asking him, Well, what did you do during the Great War, Robert? You know, it may be that he will um, move amendments that seek to toughen up the position on international law. Although, of course, one of these sort of oddities of the whole position is that the government maintain they're not breaking international or merely pushing the envelope, whereas other people, of course, claim they are.
1: Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee Coffeehouse Shots.